0: listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry.
1: You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks for joining us for episode 307.
0: That's about what the temperature is outside. Oh, my house. God. Yeah. Yeah, it's something. Us Texans are used to the heat, but not this early in the year. We've had, what, four or five consecutive days where it's hit 100 degrees and they expect another four or five days. Of yeah. 100
1: degrees. Yeah, we were just preheating. <laughs> pre-heating. Texas was preheating.
0: Now we're full-blown. Wide-open oven. Yeah. 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 Speaking of wide-open, by the time you hear this, you'll have a little bit of time to register for our wide-open gas Networking Mixer. Okay, that was cheesy. In Calgary. (laughs) No, seriously. If you're in Alberta, if you have friends or business associates in Calgary, let them know about this. It's Wednesday, June 28th. It's going to be a fantastic networking event. We're going to do a live episode of this show. And we're going to have a little discussion with our fellow oil and gas workers in Canada and let them know that they need to be proud of the industry they work in, that it's going to be here forever, and they make modern life possible. And then the charity that the monies will be donated to is the Calgary Youth Foundation that's helping children of fallen police officers. So just a good thing all the way around June 20th, there'll be a link in the show notes. Do me a personal favor, and if you have people that you know in that part of Canada, send them a link to this. We're really trying to get the word out there. We could really appreciate the help. What?
1: We don't have a review, Mark. How do we not have a review? I don't know. I probably have one in my somewhere in my LinkedIn messages.
0: Okay. Well, so for the first time since I can remember in an extremely long time, we don't have a review.
1: I'm used to it. Nobody does that for me on Industry Leaders, so...
0: Yeah, but the listeners of you gas this week are very special. Come on, guys. Leave us some reviews. We love to hear from our listeners. Whether you've been listening to us for years or you started listening to us on this show, leave us a review and let us know what you think.
1: Yep. Let's get into the news stories. First up, we've got Biden administration looks to add 12 million barrels to the SPR this year.
0: Okay, so this is going in the right direction. It looks like they're looking to buy 12 million barrels as part of trying to replace the 200 million barrels they put on the market. Remember, our Strategic Petroleum Reserve is there to help fund, help run our military machine in our country in case something really bad happens, like a war. Early this month, the Department of Energy announced they had bought 3 million barrels of crude for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve and planned to buy another 3 million. Now, everybody, I want to stop here. So we bought 12 million. It sounds like a lot, right? It's not. Do you know how long that runs our country? Not very long. 10 hours. 10 hours? Uh, Not even a day, yeah, 10 hours, that right? that sounds about right. So I appreciate the efforts. Quite frankly, this is window dressing. We need to be buying, you know, 50, 80, 100 million barrels at a time. WTI price is low enough where we can afford to do this. Remember, for October of last year, they said they were going to repurchase crude to refill strategic program reserve by the spring of this year, which didn't happen. Buying 12 million barrels, quite literally – is a drop in the bucket. So thank you, U.S. government and our current administration for buying these 12 million barrels. I'm sure that extra 10 hours that would run our country (laughs) in time of war, you know, I mean, it's a positive thing. We need to do better. We need to do better as a country. We need to do better as a government. This is not something that is a political choice this is i thought it was a,
1: I thought it was well, a political thing
0: no it 100 percent is a political thing what i'm saying is regardless of what your political views are having this strategic petroleum reserve this low is everybody's issue i don't care if you're democrat republican libertarian you know yeah unicorns whatever we gotta get this thing filled back up and this 12 million barrels that they're putting in there is literally a pr stuff we have to do better people
1: Okay. New funding to support Bessie decom contracts in the Gulf of Mexico.
0: So this is actually really cool. If you don't know it, decommissioning is basically when you take an existing production facility, typically an oil well, right? And you tear it down and put it back as close to nature as possible. And you make sure you plug and abandon that well so that it's safe for the future.
1: Yeah. It's usually wells.
0: Wells, right. Yeah. Well, so a couple of things here. So, the Bessie has announced $3 million investment from the infrastructure, bipartisan infrastructure law. There's some other money. There's $64 million coming in from President Biden's Investing in American Agenda. The Bessie talked about in this article how they're award contracts to address nine orphan wells in the Matagoria Island lease area, which is right off the coast of Texas. This funding announcement is critical. Plugging and abandoning these wells is critical, not just offshore, but on land. One of the things they talk about in here is the US Department of Interiors, or DOI, announced a $63.8 million investment to also help remediation of orphan well and gas wells in national parks and national forests. Then this year's funding is being split between five federal bureaus as an overall $16 billion investment from our current administration's bipartisan infrastructure law. Now the Department of interior said the government is going to spend of the $16 billion. It's going to invest 11.3 billion to the States to help them with taking care of orphan wells. All this is awesome. I want to kind of put this in perspective. So, For a conventional shallow water offshore well Mm -hmm. to P and A it right, so to decommission it right is usually about a twenty million dollar investment, right? Yeah. It's a lot of money offshore. A lot of
1: permits too.
0: A lot of permits too. On land, that cost is actually only about twenty thousand dollars. Now that's the P and A of the well. Besides P and A of the well on land, you typically have to put the area back to as close to nature as it was, which you're tearing down the well pads and removing the roads and fences, looking at drainage planning, and that can bring that twenty thousand dollar well price up to 50, 60, maybe $100,000, depends on what's going on. The offshore ones are the ones that are really important. Number one, you can't see them easily, right? Yeah. Number two, it's a lot of money. And from an engineering point of view, it's pretty difficult to pee in the AOL offshore compared to doing one on land. So I love the fact that the money's being pushed toward this. There's also a bunch of organizations that you and I have talked to over the years, Paige, that are private organizations that are also looking to help with this abandoned well problem in the U.S. And if you don't know what the problem is, basically for the last 100 years, companies have been able to get permits and drill a well, either offshore or on land, go in production, and at some point, they quit producing at that well. In recent history, all of the states and the federal government require the operators to have not only the right permits, but to put up bonds. So basically, they're assuring the Financial there, responsibility. Right, to plug it in the well. But that was not always the case. And because this has been going on for so long, a lot of the records are lost. So a lot of the wells that were drilled 80 or 90 years ago- Yeah, because
1: it's all on paper. Yeah.
0: We don't know who did it. Or what's even left. And that company could have been bought and acquired, and then that company could have been bought and acquired, and somebody could have went bankrupt. And so what happens is, this is a really important problem, is we have a lot of these wells that there's no major corporation taking ownership of because we don't know who owns them, and yet they weren't plugged and abandoned properly. And then Page- From a technology point of view, I've seen this in my own eyes. I've seen cast iron casing. Oh, wow. Yeah. So cast iron is not a good material to case a well with. So we need to go through the country, find all these wells that are not plugged and abandoned properly, and plug and abandon them the right way. And the federal government's putting money into this along with the states, which I think is a wonderful thing. You know, When it's the right thing to do, it's the right thing to do. I will tell our hats off to our current administration. This is the right thing to do. Thank you for putting money to help fix this problem. And actually, thank you for taking that money and letting the states figure out the priorities with your help to figure out which of these wells we need to tackle first. This is an issue that we need to take care of, and we can. We just have to have the political support and the finances behind it to actually get it done. And then, like I said, once we get all of the older wells that were abandoned, we get them plugged and abandoned properly. We're not going to have this problem in the future because we have laws and finances in place already that if you could drill a new well, you have to make sure you can decommission it properly. So it's just something we need. It's legacy from the past that we need to fix, and we are. So this is great.
1: Yeah. Okay. On a different note, drunk Russian captain crashes oil tanker. (laughs) (laughs) I had to put that in there. You can't
0: make this up.
1: (laughs) Well, at least we're hearing
0: about it. Well, let me tell you what's funny. Actually, I shouldn't say this. So – Two all tankers collided in the Erska region. One of the captains was quite frankly drunk, like they said. They spilled a bunch of diesel fuel, and they also there's some crude and some also gasoline that they think may also spill. So they're estimated between 60 and 90 tons of these hydrocarbons could be spilled in the river. The problem is the river's one of the few navigable rivers in that area so there's still boat traffic back and forth which makes it hard to contain it yeah and there's a bunch of settlements there's there's cities all up and down this river which makes it much harder to attain don't drink the water don't drink the water and then the other problem with this is it took two days after this accident happened before it was reported and it was only reported after satellite images showed Mm -hmm. what was going on and if you remember a couple of years ago they had an area where they had some gasoline storage tanks that because the weather was warmer, the permafrost melted, and those gasoline storage tanks broke open in yep. Russia. And the only way we found out about it was some satellite, satellite images. And they end up <laughs> they end up going after the mayor on that one. Now in this one, Putin has ordered one of the oil barons in Russia, who I cannot pronounce his name, nor nickel. Oh, I can't pronounce it. But he's owner of this company that had the crash. So Putin has already said that this one person has to bear the full financial responsibility of cleaning up this collision. And then they were also fined about two billion U.S. dollars for actually having this accident. I'm not making a joke. Don't drink and drive, oil tankers. Yeah,
1: he's Russian. He was probably <laughs> jacked up on some vodka.
0: I, I, well, I'm no. I'm, yeah, of course, right. And we actually have a lot of listeners in Russia, and I know alcohol is a part of the way of life over there. I'm actually you gotta
1: stay warm, man. Yeah,
0: well, actually, <laughs> one of the things I really am regretting is so I've been to Russia. I've changed planes in Russia, but I've never actually met. People went out into the oil and gas industry in Russia, and we were looking at doing something like that. And this war with Ukraine, of course, is going to ruin that opportunity. But for our listeners in Russia, don't be okay with this sort of stuff. Don't make jokes that the guy was drunk or whatever. Help make sure that we keep these type of incidents at the minimum or make them disappear. The whole world is looking at us, right? And we just need to make sure that we're good stewards of the environment no matter what's going on. So like I said, I don't drink and drive a super tanker. <laughs>
1: Quote of the entire episode. Try not to laugh. <laughs> I do think it's true. <laughs> okay. So, dam rupture poses no threat to Ukraine's nuclear plant. IAEA reports.
0: Yes, interesting. What's going on here? So, I did a deep dive into what happened, and this was a very well-engineered dam. So, this was not an earthen dam. This was concrete and steel and stone, engineered, built by some, you know, really good construction people. Not only was this not an accident, but the amount of explosives and the place with explosives was a lot of work to take this thing down. And they did. Now, of course, both sides are saying it's the other side. Preliminary reports look like it was Russia that did this, which would make sense. Trying to remove your enemies, your adversaries, I should say, ability to power their society is a, one of the quickest ways to end a war. And so trying to pull this nuclear power plant down so there's not enough electricity for the Ukraines is a tactic that the Russians are using. Like, well,
1: It's an act of terrorism.
0: Well, so it gets to act of terrorism because of the potential environmental impact right. of, a, of a nuclear power plant not being able to keep its reactor core cool. And so the only lucky thing that happened here is that this dam supported a reservoir for cooling for the power plant also provided water for the local people to drink. And so when they blew up the dam, there's a level at about 11 meters. If the water gets below 11 meters, literally the intake pipes are dry for the nuclear mm, power plant. Yeah. And luckily when they blew up the dam, the explosions didn't go off quite how they want it. So the water is at 12.7 meters. Ooh. So we got 1.7 meters of safety cushion there. The reservoirs still continue to be able to supply the reactor core with cooling water and they're frantically building a retainant pond to pump that water in as a backup in case the rest of this dam lets loose. So as of today, the 16th of June, 2023, Ukraine's in a good place with this. But what is next? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Triggered that the Russians are gonna pull to try to win this war. I think the war is already lost to Russia. In fact, I know it is. Now I think it's a matter of Putin trying to save face and quite frankly, probably trying to save his career and his life. Yeah. He has to pull something out of this. Which when you put somebody in that type of situation, their backs against the wall, they do stuff they shouldn't do like this. Yeah. So I'm just happy they were able to keep this reactor cool. We're gonna keep an eye on this. Because this is war crime material, yeah, right? And this war crime material, once this war is over, is going to trickle back through the Russian and also the Ukraine oil and gas industry and it's going to affect prices. Right. Too early to tell which way or how, but it will affect prices in the very near future. I'm just glad everybody's okay.
1: Right. Okay. Exxon CEO warns overemphasis on renewables could backfire. Haven't you been saying something similar to that?
0: Yes, for years. (laughs) It's not that... Exxon's Mobile CEO, Darren Woods, asked my opinion on this. Although the interesting thing is I didn't know you were going to put this news article in there. This article is from a podcast that I actually listened to. I'm trying to remember who sent me the podcast. But somebody sent me a link to this podcast and listened to it. It was actually a fantastic interview. Now, this interview was done by the Norway's Wealth Fund, which is one of the largest investment funds in the world. And they have a podcast. And they own some of ExxonMobil stock. And actually, they own enough to not control anything, but to be a, a big investor in Exxon. And that's probably how they got Darren Woods on the show. That's, yeah. Exxon, love you to death. I would love you to get Darren Woods on a page of show. Oh, that right, would be awesome. Leaders, right?
1: That's only going to take like a year to get approved, though. Well, we'll
0: see. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I listened to this podcast interview. This article is based on, and he makes some really good points. One of the points he makes is here, and especially in Europe, in the interest of trying to deal with man's impact to the environment, we're making rules based upon winners and losers instead of making rules on what we want the outcome to be. Mm-hmm. And it was a very interesting take that I really love. So to his point, he said, why are you trying to make things like hydrocarbons illegal illegal? and replaced with wind and solar, why don't you say you want to reduce emissions and let the market figure out how to get there? One of the points he brought up is if you get rid of LNG, it's going to be replaced with coal a lot of places. Yep. Which is going to make emissions worse. So if, we're going to put a link in the notes to the podcast so you can listen to it. It's really worth your time listening to it. But the other thing that he talked about is Europe especially is creating a lot of risk and pushing energy companies, especially oil and gas companies, out of Europe, right? Which means, number one, that, increases Europe's energy insecurity because they don't have their own supplies. And because they're still going to buy oil and gas, they're going to buy it from other countries that don't have the same care to the environment, which actually go make emissions worse. And he's 100% right about that.
1: Yeah. And while we're at it, why will not we tax it?
0: Yeah, well, here yeah, we we'll get to that. <laughs> and the other thing he talked about is their low carbon business and how he thinks eventually their low carbon business will be equal to, if not more revenue than a traditional hydrocarbon business. And after listening to the podcast, I walked away with a couple of things. Number one, you could look at all this as ExxonMobil pitching its low-carbon business Mm -hmm. to a very large population of investors, which is who listens to this podcast, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Number two, he made a lot of freaking sense, even things I had never thought of before. So it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes. I will say this much, too, because we we do have some anti-oil gas people listen to this show. Does it bother you? that ExxonMobil is gonna fix the climate problem. <laughs> <laughs> because if there is a climate problem and it is based on carbon dioxide, Exxon going after um, carbon captures a question at a scale that nobody else could even come close to. Right. So. That was a little bit tongue in cheek, but this was a really it's a really good article. To read. More importantly, you should listen to the podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes to it.
1: Isn't there one in the article
0: itself? Oh, you know what? That's right. Just go click the article itself. There's a link to the podcast here. It was a really good listen. I will tell the Norwegian Investment Fund that their podcasters, your audio quality is superb. Good deal. Pod, fellow podcaster, podcaster.
1: Right on. All right. And oh, wait, let me back
0: up. Abe Shasta. Our buddy Abe Shasta was the one that sent me the link to the
1: Oh, yeah, 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 podcast. yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So thank you, Abe. All right. Indian Refiner Drops Expansion Plan to Focus on Petrochemicals.
0: (laughs) Good article. And they're talking about how the Mangalore Refiner Petrochemical Limited, which is the largest refiner in the country of India, Is saying they're going to shift their focus from producing fuel like diesel, gasoline, jet fuel to petrochemicals to de-risk its future business because of the energy transition. And they're saying that in the very near future, because of electric cars, there won't be a need for gasoline or diesel. And so they're going to switch to petrochemicals because they still think there'll be a need for that. Let me translate that for you. Making fuels has less of a margin than making petrochemicals. So we're going to do common sense business, and we're going to make more petrochemicals because we can make higher margins than we make fuels. That's what's really going to here, people. I was wondering why you were <laughs> laughing. So great job by your PR people on spinning this. You can't fool me. <laughs> you can't <laughs> fool anybody else that can read a and l And by the way, there's nothing new here. You're seeing this go all over the world. You're seeing a lot of petrochemical plants being stood up. You know, we've had 10 years of ethylene crackers being stood up here in the U.S. for the same reason. If you listen to any of my yearly predictions, you know I'm very bullish on petrochemicals. The world cannot function without them. The demand will only keep going up. So if I owned a refinery, I'd be focusing on petrochemicals right now, too. So that's what's going on here.
1: Up next is U.S. sanctions Iranian and chinese companies over ballistic missiles
0: hey all the companies they're trying to get around u.s sanctions on selling parts and pieces that helps propagate nuclear weapons you need to quit doing this right this you're contributing to something that's gonna be really 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 bad if it goes any further this is a handful of chinese companies there's a hong kong company and then there's a couple of others all have been caught building shell companies to sell parts and pieces to Iran, not only to help them with their nuclear program, so refining uranium to a point that it can be weapons-grade, but also with the ballistic missile program, the software, the radar, the technology you need to actually have intercontinental ballistic missiles. And it's not cool. I get that you're trying to make a dollar. This is not a country that needs to have nuclear weapons, much less the ability to deliver them anywhere in the world. If you're one of these companies that's doing this and the U.S. catches you, they're going to cut you off, which is what happened to these companies. Mm-hmm. So these companies now can no longer – their bank accounts have been frozen. They're not allowed to do business with any of the NATO companies whatsoever, which means this could kill their yeah. existing business. And they did all this to make a couple of dollars. Now, the reason this story's in here and it's so important is that these type of sanctions are preventing more disruption in the Middle East. If we have a war break out in the Middle East, and if you follow my predictions, I said that this year I'm really worried about a major conflict right. happening, you're going to see the price of oil go over $150 a barrel, like yeah. almost overnight. Mm-hmm. So quit selling parts and pieces you shouldn't, and don't do stupid stuff like get caught and build these shell companies to think you can get around. This is not the right thing <laughs> to do. It's not good for anybody. It's actually anti-human to be doing this and just to make a dollar. So quit trying to get around the sanctions of Iran and helping the Iranians build nuclear weapons. That's just wrong. Yep, yep.
1: UK government announces new oil and gas tax changes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you you mentioned earlier, or you said a little while ago about the windfall taxes, You make a little job about that. This is what they're talking about here. And so what they're saying is that when the price of hydrocarbons, both crude oil and natural gas, get to a certain point, they're going to reduce the 75% tax rate in North Sea oil and gas reduction to 40%. Now, you have to remember, 75% tax rate, so 75 cents on every dollar that Equinor, not Equinor, oh, no, it is Equinor, or Exxon or whatever it makes has to go to the government, and you reduce that to 40%. If you're an oil and gas operator, do you think you're going to do business in the North Sea mm. with those type of rates? Like, there's Pro- no margin. Highly left, right? probably not. Right. Once again, like I said earlier, This lessens Europe's energy security and increases global emissions because you're still going to buy hydrocarbons from somewhere. You're just not going to get it from the North Sea, which is some of the cleanest hydrocarbon production in the world. This is just utterly ridiculous. There's a quote in here. I love it here. It says, it is right that we recover excess profits resulting from Putin's war and use the money to help people with their energy bills. Let me translate that. We tried to push Europe into renewables too quickly, which caused a shortage of energy. And then luckily for us, Putin invaded Ukraine so we could blame on him. But it's really our fault that people can't pay their energy bills in Europe. That's the truth here. Yep, yep. Right. The shortage of energy was happening way before Russia invaded Ukraine. You heard me talk about it literally almost two years before it happened. This is ridiculous. And I'm telling you, Europe, if you make it so expensive to produce in the North Sea, you're hurting everybody. Everybody stop this, get rid of this stupid tax, let the oil and gas industry do what it's good at. I'm sorry that sometimes in a 50-year period we make a lot of money because a lot of times we lose a lot of money. And I see nobody in Europe looking at the big tech companies going, oh, you made a lot of profits too during COVID, right? And try to put windfall taxes on them. So this is utterly ridiculous. It's going to drive the wrong results. And all it's really doing is helping a couple of politicians get reelected.
1: Yep, same old stuff. Railroad Commission of Texas. Biden administration attempts to shut down U.S. oil gas industry with Railway Safety Act.
0: Hey, federal government, when are you going to learn about messing with Texas? (laughs) (laughs) At some point, you have to realize you're batting zero. So let me tell you what this Railroad Safety Act is. A couple of things that is proposed to be changed. Two things are very important. So right now, all the rails in the U.S. have certain detectors every 25 miles. And that way, if there's a derailment In between those 25-mile detectors, they detect it, and they get notified so you can get the right people, the right responses, all that stuff going, right? Well, they want to shorten that to 15. So that's another investment in infrastructure. Railroads will have to do by law, but every 25-mile one works just fine. Mm -hmm. So let the railroads determine where the sensors need to be, not our politicians. The other thing that's going to affect the oil and gas industry, we have a lot of crew that's moved by rail, also some LNG. They're going to mandate that every single rail car has to be inspected by the right inspectors, and there's no time limit to how long the inspections take. Can we translate that to you? If you're transporting crude by rail right now, those cars are inspected. They're inspected when they're emptied to make sure they're up to par. They're inspected when they're filled. Then they go on their merry-ray. The railroad itself reports to the Department of Transportation if they're hauling crude so that somebody has an over overwhelming picture of where the crew's being hauled in the u.s in case there's an accident right all this stuff has to run like precision clockwork because a lot of rails only have a single track and so you'll have a train going one way and 15 minutes later you have a train going the other way and if you mess up any of that timing you can have a major accident where two trains run at each other or you cost millions because
1: we haven't had enough of those yeah. lately or you
0: have millions of dollars of downtime because a, a train's sitting still in order to make sure things run like clockwork, right now the inspections have to be done in a certain time frame so the railroad can run its business. This proposed law is saying there's no – or it's going to remove the time frame, which means that if the inspector wants to take four days to get out there, take four days. Uh, Imagine trying to run a railroad business with that thro- rich thrown in the work. So it's kind of ironically funny that it's the Texas Railroad Commission,
1: <laughs> right, that governs which really oil it, and gas, yeah,
0: has brought this everybody's attention and has pushed back really hard. And so they're basically saying this is just another example of Washington Democrats and radical environmentalists utilizing every tool to put into fossil fuels, which is what will happen. If this goes through, it's going to be so expensive to move by rail, that's going to stop happening, right? So this is one of those things, which, by the way, we're going to have a new show coming on board soon that is going to be a career politician who we love to death that's going to host that show. And one of the things he's really good at is this sort of stuff where he can take – a law or proposed law or regulation change, and he can tell you this is what it looks like on the surface, but here's the implications down the road if it actually gets enacted. And I can't wait to have that show come on our network because I'm just not really good at this, but this is so blaringly obvious at what they're doing. And like I said, the Texas Railroad Commission is pushing back on our federal administration and basically saying... Not only do you need to stop this, they're asking politicians on both sides to vote against this, but they're also putting proposed legislation in Texas in place.
1: To protect it. To
0: to say that your laws are not enforceable in the state of Texas. Yeah. Which means we'll be okay, but other states won't be. So stop this sort of stuff. You've been fussing everybody today. No, I gave them props for-
1: I know, but you fussed the Russian drunk guy.
0: Oh, that's true. Yeah.
1: And a couple other things.
0: Let's see what else I can fuss at. Okay. What's next?
1: Offshore rig prices climb and miss deep water drilling
0: boom. Love it. For all my drilling contractors out there who literally suffered for the last 10 years. Yeah. Making pennies. I mean, literally pennies and competing over jobs just to keep your people employed. Turning in bids that had no margin because you want to keep your people working. Glory days are back. Right. There's a boom. There's not enough drill ships. You're getting four to five hundred dollars a day for newer offshore drill rigs, which is good money. There's a backlog. There's a huge construction boom and building brand new rigs. So this is just wonderful to see. Now, what's really cool to me about this is this wave of work needed offshore. And this wave of new rigs that are being built to meet the demand because we can't meet the demand right now means that we're going to have much more modern, much safer, much more environmentally responsible rigs out there. So basically, we're refreshing our fleet in a good way. We've seen a bunch of consolidation in this space go on with a bunch of mergers and acquisitions. With this amount of money being dumped in this, what I'm hoping to see is actually some new drilling contractors being stood up so we have a little bit more competition out there. Mm Maybe some companies that are a little bit more nimble or newer and different ways of doing this. But this is just good news for everybody.
1: Yes, it is. U.S. EPA seeks short-term delay to biofuel blending mandate final rule.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, More fussing. I'm going to try not to. All right. So the renewable fuel standards, which is over 10 years old, which is a law that needs to be thrown away, basically requires the fuel producers, so think of the Chevrons and Exxons and Valeros that refine fuel to buy a competitive inferior products so think of biodiesel or ethanol which are inferior to hydrocarbon diesels or gasoline and they're also worse for the vehicles and blend them with their fuels by law so basically imagine if you had you know if you were a company that manufactured baseball bats and the u.s government came in and said look I know you get the best wood possible. No jokes. Um, <laughs> I said no jokes.
1: I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have a Imagine
0: joke. you buy the best wood possible, make your baseball bats, but by law we're gonna make you buy twenty percent crappy wood. To mix with your good wood to make baseball bats out of right that's what this is this just needs to be thrown out the door it won't be a lot of people don't understand what's going on there's a different set of stakeholders now there's you know like we talked about this before about how you can blend ethanol in a tanker full of gasoline now you create renewable fuel credits which you can sell to the refineries the newest slant on this is they want to give electric vehicle manufacturers renewable fuel credits the same way they give the biodiesel and ethanol people. The only people that benefit from the ethanol are the farmers that are growing the corn that's subsidized a mm. dollar per gallon by right. the US taxpayer. The biodiesel is a little bit different. It's an interesting market. I was talking to somebody about this there. It might have even been you, where. Not that long ago, use French fry oil. You paid to get rid of it, right? And now it's something you can sell. That's cool because they make biodiesel from it. But the ethanol stuff just needs to go out the door. So they're basically trying to decide what they want to do. So the EPA has asked for a short-term delay before their final ruling. Whatever their final ruling is, I will be fussing whenever it comes out.
1: (laughs) All right, last one. Global oil demand to peak before the end of the decade as energy transition gathers pace, IEA says. $100,000
0: bet right now to our entire audience that the IEA is wrong about this. Oh? Yep. So what they're saying is they say global oil demand will just about disappear by 2028, which is five (laughs) years from now. They're saying that the consumption by the Chinese will radically disappear and that the rise of electric vehicles is going to take care of the rest of it. And by shifting to this air, quote, clean energy economy, peak oil – demand is in sight by 2028 as electric vehicles and electrical efficiencies and other technologies make hydrocarbon obsolete. Well, IEA, number one, I don't know where you pulled this one out of. I really don't. I'm telling you right now, global oil demand will continue to grow for at least the next 50, if maybe not 80 to 100 years. And at some point, as we have peak people, which if you've listened to my predictions, I've talked about that last year, you know, the world's population is slowing, its growth is slowing, and at some point we will have less people tomorrow on the earth than we have today. When we get there, and only when we get there, will you see peak all demand, right? I don't expect peak all demand to go backwards ever. I expect it to plateau once we hit peak people, and it will stay there. But definitely not by 2028, five years now. I don't know what y'all are smoking. I wish you'd share it. <laughs> um, and this is, a, this is a government agency. They're supposed to have, like, real analysts and scientists making these predictions. And literally, you could have made up something better than this. This is, once again, what happens. You let politics get mixed up with science, and you end up with crap like this.
1: Yep. Yeah, rig count, I guess,
0: huh? Rig count? You're yeah, are quite go all yeah. said. Yeah, what's going on with the rig count?
1: United States is down eight at 687. Canada's up 23 at 159. Internationally, we're up 18,965.
0: Good numbers, although somebody made fun of me for saying good numbers. Who, 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 what, I don't what? remember. One of our listeners said that no matter what happens, I always say good numbers. I don't always say it, I say it a lot. i tell you this much. During the pandemic, I wasn't saying good numbers, and I'm oh, so yeah. now that I get to say that. But speaking of good numbers, come advertise with us. It's just ridiculously simple. Go to OGGN.com, hit pricing. We drive amazing results for our sponsors and our partners. So if you want to help get some brand recognition, if you want people to know what your company is, you want to increase your sales, reach out to us. We're the largest. We're the first. We're the most listened to. Come work with us. We'd love to have you in the team. Speaking of team, if you want to find out what we're doing, like our Calgary Mixers, join our LinkedIn page. Just go follow LinkedIn page. That is growing. And, Paige, have you noticed the amount of LinkedIn marketing traffic OGG has been doing? Yeah,
1: because we got a marketing guy.
0: We got an intern. Our intern's kicking butt and taking names. Doing really good work. Good to see it. Just happy to be able to spread our message and also put a little money in a student's pocket. Right. Speaking of putting stuff in your pocket, if you want my monthly oil and gas events email, sign up for that. We take all the oil and gas events, put it in one place at one time in your inbox. Never spam me. And we do it for absolutely nothing. And if you're like myself or your experts to come to your event, do a live podcast, come speak, deliver a keynote, reach out to me. Happy to share the details. Ready you out of here? Yeah, I'm hungry. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.